0: Matthew chapter 27, we're going to read a few verses there, and then I have one more in the gospel according to John. Matthew chapter 27, and I just want to just share something with you here which has nothing to do with the message, but you know, every time I even open my Bible, I have a great emotional response of love for this book. I'm certainly grateful that God has put that there. Matthew 27, at verse 11, it says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest, which means you've said it. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Same chapter, look down at verse 33. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written this is jesus the king of the jews come with me to the gospel according to john just one verse there chapter 6 and verse 15 when jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king he departed again into a mountain himself alone so this thought ran through my head, and I have used it as a title for this message. What if Jesus were president of the United States? June 8, 1978. The following day, June the 9th, an article was written in the New York Times that had this heading. Quote, Solzhenitsyn in Harvard's speech terms West weak and cowardly. Cambridge, Massachusetts, June the 8th, in a commencement address at Harvard today, Alexander I. Solzhenitsyn left traditional sentiment to others and delivered his own bitter view of a West grown slack and pusillanimous and evil through devotion to man's appetites instead of God's design. And by the way, I just want to make a comment here. The word bitter is an adjective put in by the writer that doesn't mean it was bitter. The physical and spiritual fight for the planet has started, he said, and yet your screens and publications are full of prescribed smiles and raised glasses. What is the joy about? The Russian author, who was forced into exile in 1974 after writing books critical of communism, warned that neither diplomacy nor military balance could abolish danger, listen, and that only moral criteria could help against communism. In the tones of an evangelist excoriating sinners, he said that the West had lost its courage, that political and intellectual bureaucrats had declined into depressed passivity and perplexity while displaying weakness and cowardice. He said that those in America who had opposed the Vietnam War were guilty now of complicity in the suffering of 30 million people. Quote, do these convinced pacifists Hear the moans? Do they understand their responsibility, or do they prefer not to hear, he asked. In a society that worships material well-being, people are not ready to die for ideals, Mr. Solzhenitsyn said. They are prepared only for, quote, concessions, attempts to gain time, betrayal. Meanwhile, decades of suffering in Eastern Europe have produced, quote, longer, deeper, and more interesting characters than those generated by standard Western well-being, he said, and added, after the suffering of decades of violence and oppression, the human soul longs for things higher, warmer, and purer than those offered by today's mass living habits, introduced by the revolting invasion of publicity, by TV (coughs) stupor, and by intolerable music. The Middle Ages repressed man's physical nature in favor of the spiritual, And now modern civilization has forsaken the spirit, Mr. Solzhenitsyn said. He suggested that spiritual life was destroyed in the East by the ruling party and in the West by, quote, commercial interests. I have spent all my life under a communist regime, and I will tell you that a society without any objective legal standard is a terrible one indeed, he said. But a society with no standard, but the legal one, is not quite worthy of man either. And so he inveighed against single-minded subservience to the letter of the law rather than to self-restraint. An oil company is legally blameless when it purchases an invention of a new type of energy in order to prevent its use, he said. A food product manufacturer is legally blameless when he poisons his produce to make it last longer. After all, people are free not to buy it. In his speech delivered in Russian and amplified over his voice by an interpreter speaking English, Mr. Solzhenitsyn also delivered a Philippic against the press. He charged it with inaccuracy, guesswork, rumors, suppositions, hastiness, immaturity, superficiality, sensationalism, and misleading judgments, all without rectification. In the West, he said, addressing an audience of 15,000, enduring the rain in Harvard Yard, unfashionable views are condemned to obscurity result is, quote, strong mass prejudices, a self-deluding interpretation of the contemporary world, petrified armor around people's minds. It would do you well to read through his speech in the text, or just you could watch it, as he speaks in 1978 to Harvard University, starting out by reminding them that their motto is veritas, truth. But truth, and the mind of Solzhenitsyn, in my mind as well, may be number one hard to find in some circles, and truth has got to be embraced by the seeker, no matter how it turns out. Let me give you an example. You go to the doctor. The truth is the outcome for your condition is not good. And for some reason, you're given some option as to what do you want to hear. Some people would actually opt to say, you know what, don't talk anything negative to me or anything bad, just tell me something good. If the doctor accommodates you, he or she would then say, well, it's going to be good. You're fine. But it's not the truth. If the person is more committed to truth than they are to having their mind put at rest when what they're being told is not true, which means in the end, it's not going to be good anyway. Then they'll say to the doctor, just tell me the truth. I just want to know. How much longer do I have to live? You see, that's the high price of truth. You have to really want it no matter what the outcome is. When you seek after Jesus and you really want the truth, You have to want the verdict no matter what the outcome so when we hear Jesus say I am the truth we have to embrace all of that because what is happening and has been happening instead of us being converted to Jesus we are converting Jesus to ourselves in this case as I've mentioned in passing here or there we have unwittingly I'll say unwittingly made Jesus an American When Jesus says, except you be as little children, become as little children, and all these things, you must be born again, and so on, where Jesus is Jesus, we have unwittingly converted Jesus to ourselves. And God says, I have made you in my image. And then again, I'm saying unwittingly because most times it's done without real malice or really intention. What we've done little by little is convert him into our image. Jesus is like me. In C.S. Lewis' work, the Screwtape Letters, there's a very intriguing analogy given in that fictional account of a senior demon talking to his nephew, Screwtape, to Wormwood. Something that we need to pay attention to here, I think. In the story, at one point, Screwtape is advising Wormwood how to get a Christian to be neutralized or even to walk away from Jesus. He gives various things, and one of them is on politics. So he writes this, Lewis writes this, let your patient begin by treating patriotism or pacifism as part of his religion. Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, you know, left or right, come to regard it as the most important part. Then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes merely part of the cause, in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of the British war effort or of pacifism. What he does here, Lewis does here through his characters, is he gives us two completely opposite political views during the Second World War and Britain's efforts in it. He says, get a Christian to say, part of my religion is involved in my country, which to some degree we're gonna agree with. I'm gonna agree with that. He said, then, little by little, get those two to kind of mix together. And these are my words now, based on the ideas presented to us. Get them to mix together so you can hardly tell of one without the other, which was part of our country back in the early 1800s, as de Tocqueville noticed. He says, quietly just nurse them into a position where religion is only part of the cause. And I'm going to register my opinion, and it's just that. It's an opinion, but I believe that's exactly what we have in America. Yeah. And if you're unsure about that, I have books in my library written by people who've experienced this. One is passed away now, a young Chinese-American, who signed on to his party's president with the promises of all that was going to be done to you know, help the cause and so forth. And then to find out that, and this is in his book, so many people that he represented and many of you vote for were only laughing at you, that you were dumb enough to be taken in by their promises when they had no intention. You could debate that if you want, but I think the evidence seems to point out that we have now been seduced into thinking that the cause, Christ is now part of the cause, and so that's why I say to you that, in my view, what we have done, unwittingly, without malice, is we've converted Jesus into one of us. Now, look at, once again, at Wormwood, what he's presented with, because you're presented with the same thing. There's two totally opposite, two polar extremes. Let's get in the war, kill the enemy. The other is total pacifism. We don't fight, we don't do that, we don't kill. And Lewis is saying, doesn't matter what extreme you get them to go on. Get them to believe that this is now their religion. In other words, for our purposes, let me say it this way. Whatever we do, Christ approves of it. Rather than it's the politician that approves of it. And to quote a small line from a song of the 60s, vote for me and I'll set you free. Wrap on, brother. You see, for me, there is one savior, and that's Jesus. One solution to the world's ills, and that's Jesus. Amen. And I say this with great respect to, again, the country that I love. And it's because I love this country that I say this. America needs Christ. Yeah. America needs Jesus. America needs the biblical Jesus. Amen. So if Jesus were president of the United States, and we have a lot to give up on this idea, and that's all it is, it's just an idea. I found that once I came up with the idea, that as I worked it through in my mind, it became very involved. Yeah. More involved than I first guessed. But we have to give up the prerogatives of Jesus' deity, his position of king of kings and lord of lords. And we're just going to look at the moral aspect of Jesus of Nazareth, since Solzhenitsyn was a Christian moralist, was a Christian, went to atheism, and then after imprisonment, he went back to Christianity. But let's just look at one side of Jesus, which again, is not the biblical view. So we have to use some imagination The first question that I asked myself, if Jesus were president of the United States, what party would he belong to? Well, you say, you already know. And there's a church somewhere down the street here that says they already know in the two different parties. You see, that's converting Jesus into our image and not letting Jesus be Jesus. Well, let's look at it this way. We have to strip Jesus of a lot here to do this. We're just looking at it as a moral individual of high, high moral individual, higher than Moses and all the prophets and higher than the Baals, but still, we're stripping him of a lot. But you have to understand that in the minds of some people, just like Lewis presented in the screw tape letters, Jesus has already been converted to one party or the other. Even in the prayer meetings, Jesus endorses, I mean, in the minds of people, in the imagination of people, Jesus endorses their party. Not the particular stands, which I'll mention them in just a moment, but actually endorses the candidates, endorses the, you know, And in my mind, I agree with Lewis, and I agree for the most part with Solzhenitsyn and others, well, this is not biblical Christianity. The early Christians were killed because they kept saying, we don't pinch incense to Caesar, Christ is king. And for that, they laid down their lives, many did, because they refused to worship Caesar. Remember, Caesar was God. And you say, well, thankfully we don't have that in America. And I'll say, well, don't we? I believe, again, subtly. Remember, Satan is the most subtle. And we will all deny the fact that we look at our elected officials, the ones that we voted for, not the ones that they voted for, we voted for, as Godlike. And if you think about it, because I have you step back a second and you say, "Wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second. You know look I preached a message years ago, and it was basically how Satan can get an advantage on you. And the whole gist of the message was this. If you want to let Satan get the advantage on you, just give to him all the attributes that belong only to God. Make Satan everywhere present. Make him all-knowing. And we do this with Satan so that we believe he's everywhere, and he's not. And we believe that he could do anything, but you can't. This is how he gains an advantage on the minds of some. Now let's take Satan out of the way and give to a political candidate. And again, you're going to say to me, Pastor, I never think about that. Don't be stupid. But I'm suggesting that It may be done unwittingly that we bring on to flesh and blood, including preachers, the attributes that belong only to God. He said, I am the Lord, and my glory I will not give to another. And with all the due respect that I believe our country deserves, I mean, even to this moment, with its faults, I want to say that I think that this has happened to us. We have catered to the people, preachers, have catered to the people, And if politics aren't their thing, then we try to convert Jesus into what is it you want? And again, it can be unwittingly, and sometimes it's not unwitting. Believe me, this is my business. And I read up on these things, and I watch, and I say, you know, no matter what the cost, I'm not doing that. I don't care what happens, I'm not doing that. doesn't mean I won't change, and there's some good ideas out there that maybe I haven't thought of and others are doing, and it's wise and so forth, being a good steward of the Word of God. But if we convert Jesus into our image... Well, basically, we make him sinful. We make him fallible. We make him prone to making mistakes, to sin itself. And that's not Jesus. So what party would Jesus belong to? Remember, stripping him of everything that we already know about him, because it's the only way we could do this. And I want to say this to you. If you read in John chapter 5, Jesus asks this question of the religious leaders, how can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only. Do you realize, I think that you do, do you realize that the people who we honored, that God honored, all through this Bible, were people who opposed the popular opinion of the day? Moses, for instance, he came along, well, God gave him the law, and then we go through the Levitical law, and we see all of these precepts, the washing and the cleansing and all of these things, but that was completely different than what they had learned in Egypt. So he was going against the popular opinion of what cure the sick, for instance. And we look at all these figures here, and we realize that they were often in positions where they were contradicting the opinion of the very people that they shared a brotherhood with in their country. Moses, it would be the slavery in Egypt, and also the brotherhood of being descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. And then you have David, and you have these kings, the godly kings. The ungodly kings, they were different. They always appealed to the people. They always appeased the people. And in the end, it didn't end up so well. So Jesus says here, and the question is, what party would he belong to? One thing we can safely say is that he wouldn't appeal to anybody to get their honor from them. Right. We as men and women, we like to be honored. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. The Bible tells us to do, honor those to whom honors due. However, when you start seeking after popularity, and I'm going to speak of my business here. When you start to seek after popularity in the pulpit, not only am I in trouble, but so are the people. Because then you seek to negotiate the truth so that it is amenable to the minds of the people. And once you do that, keep this in mind, compromise is always bad for the church. It doesn't hurt the world. Compromise is always bad for the church. And if Jesus is not only a way to heaven, if He's the only way to heaven, we cannot afford to compromise him and convert him to the image and likeness of ourselves. So it's up to your imagination. He wouldn't belong to any party in all this here. Well, who knows because this is an imaginary statement. What if Jesus were the president of the United States? What party would he belong to is the first question. I don't know. But what would be his philosophy? Everybody who's in the party, everybody's running runs on a political philosophy. For this, we look in Mark chapter 12 verse 17. The question given to Jesus by again the Jewish elders is, "Should we pay our taxes?" This was thought to be A checkmate you see because if he answers yes then he's not a true Jew he's not a patriot if he says no they report him to the government it's a lose-lose and of all the times I've read this statement it still is one of my favorites when it comes to simply the wisdom of Jesus see they want him to commit are you for the government or are you against the government that's the question that's the real question and if he's for the government he's not a true Jew no Jew should listen to him and if he's against the government they're gonna report him to the government what did Jesus say? Mark 12:17. And Jesus answering said unto them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. John Kennedy said, that's not what your country can do for you, but what you could do for your country. I think that's fair enough. It's good enough. Jesus here goes well beyond that. He does not put down government, which he himself, remember Jesus is God come in the flesh. We've stripped him of that for this message. But Jesus cannot be opposed to government, which he established. At the same time, he could not condone a government that's corrupted, evil. And, you know, what else can we say for the truth, unless we say, what is the truth? That we have corrupted government in America because the people are corrupted. Oh, you say, well, you know, the president, he's corrupted, and the vice president, you know. Yeah, okay, but what about the people? The people have become corrupted. The pulpits are corrupted. The church is corrupted. they corrupted the message of God by doing this very thing that I'm talking about. They converted Jesus into their own image. Hey, I got something a little further, kind of a parenthetical. If Jesus were just merely a Christian, which doesn't make sense, I know, what denomination would he belong to? Oh, he'd definitely be Pentecostal, No question. Someone objects to that, says he'd be Southern Baptist. He'd be a Methodist in the tradition of Wesley. And on and on and on. And we all know that that's not Jesus. When I was a part of a denomination, I would bring that up from time to time. And it did not sit well. I said, well, it says in 1 Corinthians, one says, I'm of Paul. Another says, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. And the Apostle Paul, under the aegis of the Holy Spirit, condemned them all. He says, you're all carnal. <laughs> Let me say this to you. If you ever were in the position that I have been in in the past and you dare to stand up against your denomination, you can be sure you're finished. You're finished. You're all done. Because the elders will not tolerate anybody standing against the traditions, keyword, of the elders. They will not stand that you spoke against my good, godly grandfather. Well, I'm not speaking about your grandfather. I'm speaking about tradition. I'm speaking about two things that we are forbidden to do over and over again in the Bible, several times at least. We cannot take away from the word, but we cannot add to it. And once we identify with one group and only one group, and that's the key here, I'm not saying that we have our own identity, Time for Truth Ministries, and so on. I'm arguing that. I'm saying when we make that exclusive, then we have a contradiction in the scripture and in the Jesus that we purport to serve. So just, again, as a parenthetical, keeping in mind my main subject in life is theology. And I'm confused. I told you this a few weeks ago. I had to buy a book that names all the denominations because I'm not even sure what they all believe. I'm confused. I'm legitimately confused. I read one that says, as evangelicals, and I think I know what that means, until someone says, well, as fundamentalists, and I think I know what that means, until I read further, then it just keeps going on, like nuclear fission. It just keeps going on. So I say, you know, it's better just to keep your eyes on Christ, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's for me. I hope it's for you, but that's for me. And we find him here in the Bible. And we see that, number one, what party he would belong to. Well, I think the answer was pretty correct. He wouldn't belong to any of them. But this is an imaginary Jesus. This is an imaginary message to get you to think that we don't mix up too much of our American history and our American politics especially and make it Jesus when it's not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. Amen. We're not waiting for the second coming of George Washington, we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. It wasn't John Adams and his son true Christians? They didn't die on the cross for me, nor did any hero that has ever lived, either in mythology or in our own history, short history in America or Europe or wherever, it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who paid the price for our sin. We don't know what party we belong to, but I'm trying to engage you to think it through, that you lift up Jesus. Because, you know, listen, you can tell. I mentioned earlier about idolatry without mentioning the word. The thing that you're most passionate about, that's your God. How do I know? It? How can you say that? Well, Jesus said, Jesus taught me this. He said that where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. I'm watching people who have Christian logos on their shirt. Jesus is my higher power. Jesus is this, Jesus is that. But they never talk about Jesus. They always talk about politics. You no, know, maybe that's their job. But my job is to preach. Fair enough. And so I'll preach and tell you that we cannot convert Jesus into our image. We must be converted into his. Amen. This is the only book, how do I say This is the only plumb line that we have to measure whether we are or are not Christians. God. I've said this to you before, and I'm just a little rambling here. So we have a church over here, right there, and one right behind us. And there's one over there, one up the street. And everybody's all over the place. And then this is the thing that is kind of amusing if it wasn't so serious. The Holy Spirit's always leading people hop here and hop there. Almost every couple of months, God told me to go here. God told me to go there. Well, if you're a missionary, okay. If you're an evangelist, I guess so. But what's really going on here is we're picking and choosing the Jesus that we like in the form perhaps of the preacher. Not always. It could be the worship. It could be whatever the church is offering as services and ministries. But we're picking the Jesus that we want instead of letting Jesus pick us and say, follow me. And you take it from there. What would this philosophy be? Well, Briefly, it wouldn't be that he was against government, and we can't say altogether that he would be for corrupted government, which Rome certainly was, and there is no question, not in my mind, that we are a corrupted people because the government of the people, by the people, and for the people is now only as good as the people. And so then I began to take my imagination a little further and I say, well, if Jesus had to be elected, which of course he's not, what methods would he use to get elected? Well, we can start with kissing babies. We know he did that. In a manner of speaking, he did that, but not to manipulate the mothers and the fathers. You know, you could have the ugliest kid in the world, but that politician will tell you, hey, what a beautiful child you have if you'll vote for him (coughs) or her. The politician is interested in getting you to vote for them, and let me tell you something else. Lewis talked about that the worst form of manipulation is a government that's taking care of its victims. You can read through these things for yourself. A government that's taking care of the victims. You're all victims here, you know that, right? Things have fallen out to you, it's not your fault. And the people that I have to listen to, it's not their fault. It's the government, it's the present government, it's father, mother, sometimes even God himself. A man perverts his way and his heart frets against the Lord. Why did God make me like this? Well, he didn't. We made ourselves this way. And now we come to God to change us. We don't come to God to change him. Amen. That's not gonna happen anyway, that is an imagination. So the question is, what methods would Jesus use to get elected? Well, let's look at his attitude towards those who corrupt religion or corrupt the Bible. In Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 12, Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. You understand that all these things were actually necessary to be done for travelers coming to Jerusalem for the great feast, to have sacrifices. But what was happening now is that this was taken to be extortion. And let me add a little commentary here as well. It's my opinion. I believe we many times as Christians are being extorted by Christian companies. Solzhenitsyn, for an example, was wondering why his text wasn't reprinted enough when he actually went on the record when he was reflecting many years later. Saying it wasn't copyrighted. Why is that? because what he said displeased so many people that did not want that text out in the hands of Americans. You can still get it. I actually said, well, maybe I should purchase this speech at Harvard for myself. And I found out that the cost of it is $94. I said, no, thank you. I'll just watch it enough and memorize it. You see, he's right. Uh, Solzhenitsyn was right. Basically, he was saying, if you tell the truth, you're relegated to a position of obscurity. But if you keep showing people images that pleases them and preaching is no different, An imaginary Jesus is no different. As long as Jesus continues to please you, well, I say you, I mean people, well, then you'll follow him. But the moment he says, come and die, I don't want your time, I want your life. John 6, 6, 6 says, and many of his disciples walk with him no more. That was it. That was the final installment of confusion and all of this parable stuff and eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's it, we're done. We're all done. And Jesus' response is, Let's get a follow-up team they misunderstood me where is my agent we get a press release never jesus never followed up anybody not once not ever but he says to peter he says you want to go too now peter is smart and i hope that you are he says well where can we go you have the words of eternal life where can we go so he goes into the temple as they had perverted the rightful place to self sacrifices it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And I always loved, and I, always, I read this to you because I always loved this part. Once he cleared the temple, it says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. I told my wife just again recently, I said, you know, those who are disaffected from the church that swear they'll never go back to church again and so on and so forth. I said, I understand. I really do. Because I wouldn't be here either. Some of you have lived through that with me. I've watched people take my ministry, just take it. 18 years worth of work. I keep my mouth shut for now. Because God has a law of sowing and reaping. It's inviolable. If we can get out of the way, people who are in the way, then maybe the disaffected, maybe the blind, maybe the lame, the hurting, the depressed, the anxious and so on and the mentally ill and all these people would come in as they did. When I came to Jesus for this reason, I didn't come to Jesus because of traditions. And then once I left Roman Catholicism, I said to myself, look, if I'm just gonna hang on to a tradition, I'm going back to the Catholic church. He said, you're nuts. I said, no, I'm not nuts. If it's just gonna be bells and whistles and genuflecting and all that stuff, I'll go back to my own tradition because I have pleasant memories of some of that stuff. that's yeah, the truth. But if I'm gonna just do this because uncle so-and-so said, it and godly grandfather said, I want to know Jesus. I signed down for Jesus. That's all I signed on for. I signed on for Jesus. And as you sang earlier, no matter what the cost, no matter what it means, I'm going to keep following him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So what methods to get elected? Well, we know what he wouldn't do, so we just move on. What attitude, then, would he have towards the poor and also toward the rich? Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God in Mark ten twenty-three. It seems to me that if Jesus were president of the United States, he would not be endorsing our right to make so much money that we couldn't even our lifetime spend it. I'm going to leave off this man's name just for propriety's sake. But he's the mover and the shaker in today's world of real estate. He's a billionaire. And I happened to just bump into him on a thing that says, let me watch this guy. I've read some of his stuff. And I was astonished. I really was. How? What's the word? I was astonished at how... Uh, in love with himself you see this, see that building there, I own that building he's shown all these cars and this this Rolex watch and all this stuff, and this guy is hailed as, you know, this is the guy this is the guy you want to be Well, I watched him, I I read some of his works too, he's not the guy I want to be you see this watch here I'm telling you, real big secret here, 28 bucks (laughs) (laughs) the truth, you want to buy it and he's going around and saying, I got one of them, I got one of them. So I got one too. <laughs> 28 bucks. His is a $60,000, 80000 watch. Mine takes perfect time. It really does. And this is the type of thing we say Well, the world goes after. But you know as well as I do, there's preachers filling up auditoriums with this type of preaching. Bragging on their suits, suits. Bragging on their cars. Bragging on their watches. It's identical to the world. And can we miss it? I don't think so. Because Jesus said, how hardly do they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And I'm keeping my remarks, even though there's people watching us from other countries, um, to Americans. This is the type of gospel. It's not the gospel, but it's the type of gospel that many Americans, not all, many Americans want that. That's what they want. They want a Christ without his cross. They want a life without its suffering, without self-denial, without humiliation. They want to convert Christ to their own image, to their own likeness. Now, we don't really have to ask, but I'll just make mention. If Jesus were president of the United States, what would his attitude be towards abortion? And it's a point worth considering, and I know that some of you have considered it. If, as we're being told now, you must be vaccinated, that's a mandate. And I asked a young person, a young woman, I said, well, are you for the mandate? She said, well, yeah. I said, okay, well, how do you fix the fact that many women say, my body, my right for abortion? and she said well i'm for that too so you're for the government saying you will take this vaccine and at the same time you're for a woman refusing to be told what to do with her body that's not logical it's not even logical let alone the implications of infanticide and that's what it is abortion it's infanticide 60 million 70 million now i don't even know what the figure is but it's a lot of americans that were never born because someone says I'm going to the president, but we know it's more than that. Legislators say, you have a right to do with your body whatever you want to do, but not when it comes to that vaccine or your seatbelt. So where do we draw the line between rights and responsibilities? That's the point here. Jesus, we know, never accented anybody's rights against their responsibilities. Prove it to you. In three words, I can prove it to you. Love, one, another. Now, there are many days, and you don't lie to me now, there are many days that you don't want to love me. And you think that I don't know it, but I know it. I know it. I mean, I know it. I don't always please you, and I can't, because I'm just a man. But then you go to churches and say, well, okay, but here at Time for Truth, we love one another. Okay, fine. So now we've got Southern Baptists over here, we got Methodists over here, we got whatever we got. And I'm not talking about compromising doctrine. I'm not talking about unity at any cost, because, you know, it's just unity, uh, which is really compromise. I'm talking about a genuine, recognizing the brotherhood of Christ all across the the world. If you have any experience in Christianity, you'll know that this does not happen. With abortion, no need to guess. Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. But what would his attitude be towards crime? I often read, when I'm reading the news, there is a propensity in our society now to say this guy just killed four people but he had a rough life well my thought is it's not as rough as the four people he just stabbed and then there's all types of considerations here i'm not going to take up too much time with all of this but i already know what jesus i already know what god's attitude is towards crime It's written in here see and then i read the end of the book revelation and i know what it is there but then i have this as well and if thy hand offend thee cut it off It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not. This is Mark chapter 9, by the way. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt, which means maimed, into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another." I already know Jesus' attitude towards crime because I know his attitude to, towards sin, and sin is a crime against God. And if we are to love one another, let me say it this way, if we cannot, which doesn't mean cannot, if we will not love one another, how in the world can we possibly love our enemies? Now I'm going to tell you another story. Just trying to think of how to phrase it. The distance between me and another preacher in this town is this close. And I'm walking through every so often into the locker room because he's at the gym. This close. Not even a concession that I'm even alive. So I just say, hey, good morning. (laughs) Now we force the issue. Now you're forced to say nothing, which is rude, or to say good morning. So I get good morning back. And I say to myself, what in the world? Because I know I haven't done anything. And I mean that, I'm this close. This is twice it's happened in the last month. Nothing said nothing as though I were a ghost. So let me say this again. When people say, I'll never go back to a church again, I understand, I truly do. However, what has spared me from that is Jesus. Amen. That I've labored in my own heart and in my own mind not to convert him into my image, to make him an Irish American rebel or whatever. You know. I've always endeavored to look at the text and have a pragmatic approach to it and say, how does this apply to me? Not how does it apply to you? That comes secondary. How does this apply to me? my thinking my mouth and all of that i can understand people who are disaffected from church and pastors and preachers because quite frankly i am too but i'm not disaffected from jesus and that my friends that's salvation i'm not disaffected from jesus not only that but we have so many great examples i always told you this i'll say it again because it bears repeating i think how would you like to be jeremiah (laughs) jeremiah's got to go out and speak against the whole country He's got to speak against all the popular preachers and say, God never sent you, and God never sent you, and God didn't send you, and God didn't send you. But he sent me. Nobody wants that assignment. So Jeremiah says, hey, I'm too young. I'm just a teenager. I can't go. And God says, you're going to go, or I'll confound you before them. So he goes. Moses says, phew, I don't want to go. I can't even talk. (laughs) So God says, Oh, 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 okay, then I'll have Aaron speak for you. And a quick story. When I was little, and I mean little, little, I was walking with my father, he was holding my hand, and there was a young guy, maybe 12, 13, who stuttered. And I'm just little, little, little. I was walking past him, and he looked at me, and he said, Hey, Ray. Ray And I said, hey, Rich, I was just emulating him. I wasn't trying to make fun of him. I was too little to make fun of him. I just, my father said, stop that. Don't do that. I said, why? He said, why'd you say that? I said, because that's how he talks. (laughs) Moses couldn't speak. That's what he said. Jeremiah was too young. And then we have all the other prophets. But We have good examples. When you cling simply to Jesus, and you cling simply to the Bible, and you may find that path to be lonely, as I have, but it's okay because the distance between here and eternity is not that far. And we were never supposed to go into a popularity contest to win the affections of people. We were supposed to have a faith that pleases God. A faith that pleases God. And I tell you this. If you find yourself on the spiritual or the metaphorical island of Patmos, that's where John wrote the book of the Revelation. Who was with them? Just other Roman prisoners. Maybe some of them were Christians. But basically it was just him. All these apostles were separated from each other and went out into the world. What would Jesus' attitude as president of the United States be towards Hollywood? Let me just quickly say, and you should do research on this, that the greatest philosophers, Aristotle and others, were opposed to the theater. And why is that? Well, because in essence, philosophy is a search for... I'm talking about Christians, I'm talking about philosophers. It's a search for the truth. And many philosophers, ancient philosophers, believed going to the theater presented you basically with things that appealed to your emotions, like fear and lust and that it was being based on lies. Those are philosophers, they're not Christians. But what about the early church fathers? What did they think about the theater, which today we would call cinema or we would call it uh, television or movies? Tertullian argues, this is a quote from a book, Tertullian argues that human enjoyment can be an offense to God. His view of these public entertainments is that they are a misuse of God's creation and a perversion of the gifts God has given to man. And then he goes through ancient philosophers who had the same idea. I'm not here to tell you not to watch television. I'm not here to tell you not to watch a movie. And I would be a hypocrite if I did because every night I put on a little bit of television. But I am finding as the older I get and the more I read, the attraction is becoming less and less and less and less. Many of you know my favorite actor has always been John Wayne. And there's certain things and the reasons why. But I can tell you this, unlike other things that are presented to you, I know that John Wayne was only an actor. But I must say, if you watch enough television, movies, and so forth, it has a way of seeping into your mind. I was astonished. I really was when I started to learn, which it wasn't all that long ago, a couple of years back, of these video games. I didn't really know how violent they've become, and cars running people over in the street, and all of this stuff. And then somebody says, hey, it didn't affect my thinking. I don't think that's the case. Philosophically, in the life of many philosophers, and in the early church fathers and some others, they believed that this was affecting your thinking. And I have to say, I have a tendency to agree. The only thing I can say here to help you out is just be careful what you're watching. And always watch television actively, not passively, actively. Sometimes you're going to find out, I can't watch this. Even reading books, it's going against the word of God. Anyway, Jesus said this, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it, in John 8, 44. I am sure that Jesus would not kowtow to the superstars of Hollywood because they have a powerful influence on the minds of Americans. And they do have a powerful influence. Me, I'm indifferent to what any Hollywood actor has to say on the subject of politics, I'm completely indifferent. Because they're clever actors, does not mean that their politics are correct watching Tom Cruise and his involvement with Scientology. I know that he's intelligent, but that I can't figure out other than this here that lies have a way of seeping into the most intelligent minds, deceiving them, which I remind you all the time in the end times, the end days, Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. And more so, take heed that you're not deceiving yourself by converting Jesus into your image. I want to be like Jesus. Don't we have a song like that? Oh, we got a lot of songs like that. Well, think about Jesus in the totality of his life. How many disagreed with him? How many spoke falsely about him? Read the Sermon on the Mount. That's been going through my mind a lot lately. Love your enemies. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He said, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted the prophets that were before you. Now we have a picture of prophets, real prophets. They weren't always the people that you'd want to run out to see and hear. And certainly like Solzhenitsyn, they were shocked. In 1978, they were shocked when Solzhenitsyn said what he said. They said, What? This is Harvard. We're Americans. You can't say that to us. We're Americans. But he said it. And you know what? Years later, and reflecting on that speech, he said, and then I I'll take a word of it back. When I opposed my denomination 16 years ago, I'd do it again because it was the truth. And we could do nothing, as the Bible says, against the truth. We can only do it for the truth, whatever the cost may be. Keep in mind, our founders here, when they went to war with Great Britain, this was not a fair fight. They pledged their fortunes, their reputations, everything, for freedom. By act of providence, they won. But this was not what they had in mind, that our freedom now means I can do whatever I want. What's known as radical egalitarianism means I'm an individual, and whatever I do is none of your business. Step on your toes or spit in your face. I can do what I want to do. Quickly, on that thought, a lot of young people were raised in my generation by a psychologist by the name of Dr. Spock. It's strange stuff. So strange that even his own children rejected him. It's truth. Read up on him. Freedom was not designed to mean I could do whatever I want. I could take a baby out of my womb. I could steal and lie and all of this. Because the end actually justifies the means. You have manipulated people, you stole from people, you lied to people, but it's okay because in the end it worked out well. But it never works out well. This is my last question. If Jesus were president of the United States, what news outlet would he watch? We know that answer too. My advice to you is that when you read the news, read the left, read the right, read the center, read it all. I'm finding, by personal experience, it's not theory now, by personal experience, if you dare, now I'm politically conservative, but if I dare speak against political conservatives, I'm already dead. And this is the type of mindlessness that I'm addressing. Jesus is Jesus. He's not committed to us as Americans. He's committed to the planet, for God so loved the world. He loved the world. Whatever country you're in, Jesus is not obligated to that country other than the human beings that are in it and the planet. Jesus is Jesus. So now we come to reality. Jesus is not the President of the United States, he's the King of Kings. And he's the Lord of Lords. And we must be very careful that we don't try to convert him into being an American, a Brit, French, Arabian, African, We must be very careful. We don't try to convert him into our image and into our likeness. Because all the signs, as I mentioned so often, they're with us. We see it. We see the great falling away within the church. It's happening. Where do you want to be? You want to be stayed on, fixed on Jesus Christ, no matter what. Let me give you this one exhortation. Reading. With all of the technology that's with us, and I think that a lot of it is helpful, to become too dependent on image-related education it takes away from something that, and I've been a lifelong reader. When you read, you have to think critically. When you read, you have to actually look up words. <laughs> you're kidding me. No, that's the bad news. I actually have to look up words. Ain't good time for that. Then you're stuck with images made up by somebody else who's controlling what you're thinking. The more I read, you know what happens to me? The more I find out, the little I know. So I keep on reading. I keep on reading, and I keep finding myself going deeper. We look at reading when we read. Our minds have to think critically, and that builds up these neurons in the brain, builds up your spirit, and then you're able to do, as I've done so many years through the years, and I'm in a meeting somewhere, and I raise my hand and say, well, how'd we get there? Oh, never mind. I know now I'm rambling, but I was at a meeting once for Christian pastors, and the topic of the day was, can a Christian be a Democrat? And I said to myself, why in the world am I wasting my afternoon off to go to listen to this. During that meeting, I've told you this story, during that meeting, as they talked about politics, and it wasn't favorable to the left, I raised my hand. I said, well, you know, do you think maybe it's time that we started preaching a kingdom that's yet to come? My presbyter at the time says, well, don't be a holy Joe. I thought that was the purpose of reading the Bible. Am I confused? I don't think so. That is the purpose of reading the Bible. One other thing, too. There are many sincere believers in Christ that vote left there are many sincere believers that vote right and in my own opinion we would be well to start thinking through a lot of things so that we don't try to convert Jesus into our political philosophies or into our own image as sinful human beings because Christ is not any of these things and Christ is not the member of any one denomination but he's the Lord of them all father we come before you this morning we come in Jesus mighty name i review in my mind the law of entropy the universe is wearing down the planet's wearing down and i remind myself also that there's a kingdom yet to come and you are the king of it and you're the king of every other king and the lord of every other lord you're the alpha and omega you're the beginning and the ending help us today lord again unwittingly to be converting you into our own image to be converting you into the image of our particular political party to be converting you into what we already believe and look for a confirmation bias in the Bible to say, see, Jesus agrees with me. No, God, we have to humble ourselves, humble our heart before you and say, what did Jesus actually say? What was he really like? I think for most of us who are biblically literate, we already know the answer. So help us, God, in this age, darkened age, to live biblically. It won't be easy. But then again, you already told us, it won't be easy. Pick up your cross and follow me. That was your exhortation to anyone and everyone who would follow you. God, we bless you this morning. And I pray that our words are not just empty words, but that our lives actually do bless you. That people would recognize that we're different. Help us, God, to be more like you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor. We give you all the glory this morning for all that you've given to us and help us not to be ungrateful for even the smallest of blessings. And we can say in prayer and in humility, God, bless America and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen.